Visions Now. Visions Now. Visions Now. Visions Now is resilience. Visions Now is community. It is enlightenment and it's the promising future that we're all working towards. It's Black History Month. Welcome back to another episode of Visions Now. You are currently listening to our Black History Month podcast extravaganza. Four episodes, that's one episode a week, featuring all Black voices on all Black topics. Visions Inc. does not take Black History Month lightly. Diversity, equity, and inclusion work is about dismantling systems of oppression. So we're taking this moment to acknowledge the work of our ancestors ground ourselves in the present and orient ourselves to the future in order to figure out where we need to go in this fight for racial equity. You can follow us on social media. We've got some great Black History Month content going up on Instagram. And you can check us out at visions-inc.org for all your diversity, equity, and inclusion needs. Please enjoy this Black History Month podcast journey can subscribe to Visions Now on all podcast listening platforms. The following episode is dedicated to Chelsea Christ, the former Miss USA, and any other Black person who is struggling with depression or any other kind of mental health issue. You are not alone. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses website, NAMI.org, Black adults in the U.S. are more likely than white adults to report persistent symptoms of emotional distress, such as sadness, hopelessness, and feeling like everything is an effort. Despite these needs, only one in three Black adults who need mental health care actually receive it. This topic is personal for me. I am a Black mental health professional, and I'm also a Black person who has struggled with my own mental health issues. I want to know why this disparity in care exists. So I sat down with Adam Stevens to hear his perspective on Black mental health. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Stevens, and I am a joyous, beautiful, bold, unapologetic Black person. Uh, My origins, my history are rooted in Southern Black America. I'm Southern Black American. I am an American. And um, for cultural and accessibility purposes, I'm going to tell you just a little bit more about myself as you can't see me, but I'm here. So as I mentioned, I'm Black, African-American. I grew up in New York. I still live here. I'm calling in today from Brooklyn, New York, which originally was the land of the Lenape tribe, right? So that's important to mention. Additionally, I am short. I am five feet, five and a half inches, and I love being five feet, five and a half inches. That is me. I'm not a little person. I'm a big person. I have disabilities that you can see, and also I have disabilities that you can't see. For instance, right now I'm wearing black frame glasses that I use to help me see, Also, I'm someone who has to live and struggle through and survive and adhere to my mental health. That's another part of my identity and who I am. 
I am queer. I am a queer person. My pronouns, they are he and they. The he speaks to my gender identity, the they to my gender expression. I am a drama therapist. I am an artist and a theater maker. I'm a clinician. I'm a human being. And today I'm here to talk about Black mental health. You mentioned being a clinician and a drama therapist and an artist. Can you share a little bit more about your professional life? So as a clinician, I'm fortunate to work in many roles. My primary role is working as a counselor and a psychotherapist. Uh, currently, I work at the Hetrick Martin Institute, guiding young people who are queer, uh, most of whom are BIPOC, um, all of whom are in their adolescent development um, and going from a child, uh, the transition, you know, through adolescence into their young adulthood. Uh, so I get to support them through individual case management, um, groups, and creative endeavors that include therapeutic theater and other arts-based processes. In addition to that, at Hedrick Martin and my role as a program manager, I also get to supervise uh, interns and other uh, creative arts therapists, which I absolutely love. And that's part of the role I have at Hedrick Martin currently. Outside of that, I am the artistic director of the Kaleidoscope Repertory Theater Company, housed out of New York University's program in drama therapy, which is where you and I met, uh, Jamila, um, and fabulously so. And our mission is to advance racial justice and healing through performance. It is a space and a place for artful affinity. It is a theater company that is digital. It's only on the virtual platform. And here we gather BIPOC, Black, Indigenous persons of color, uh, drama therapists, art therapists, music therapists, dance movement therapists, poetry therapists, and other allied professionals to gather to create shows that are also written by uh, BIPOC playwrights. And it affords us the wonderful opportunity to be in community with one another. Um, to experience our joys, to experience, you know, our traumas together. Uh, but most importantly, we get to be together and we get to co-create. Adam, you have such a range of experience professionally and such a beautiful, nuanced way of understanding your identity, which I'm sure informs your perspective on this topic. And I'd love to hear what you think about Black folks and our relationship to mental health. Black folks' relationship to mental health. And what we know is that it's a tumultuous relationship. It hasn't been smooth. It hasn't been easy. Um, I've worked, you know, as a clinician for some time now, and, you know, some of my experiences have offered me great insight, right, uh, into this. And I'm going to offer an anecdote that kind of amplifies and illuminates that. You know, while working on an acute care unit, I was working with a patient of color, a black man. And he said, you know, being on the acute care mental health unit is worse than being in jail. Right. It's worse than being in jail. And for him, you know, he felt that all of his freedoms and his liberties were compromised because he was on uh, this acute care unit. And I found that so interesting. So part of the work lends itself to the principles of disability justice and how do we decarcerate these systems, right? Uh, how do we decarcerate these systems that aren't made for people of color? You know, they're made to keep us down in many ways, right? And that speaks to the systemic approach that systemically, um, 
these are white supremacist systems, right, uh, that aren't here to encourage or empower or lift up identities and voices of color, but rather to keep us down, right? Uh, and there's so much research and history that, you know, speaks to this, um, and that's important. You know, culturally, it's a white system, isn't it? It is a white system, a very white system um, that was, you know, created by white doctors and psychologists and counselors in the field. Um, and that doesn't exactly appeal to, right, uh, black people, two folks of color, right? Because it's not healing that speaks to our history and our ancestry, right? That speaks to our generational and historical trauma, right? It kind of goes against that. So naturally, it's not going to be a fit, right? So what I'm speaking to there is how do we as a mental health system, as a medical system with the medical model, meet our clients. Right now we're talking about Black clients. How do we meet Black clients so that this way they can get the most out of these systems and they can really begin to heal? We can really begin to heal, right? Um, so culturally, it's just not a fit. Um, and then, you know, you spoke before as to our resistance. Um, you know, who wants to go into a system that's against you, right? Who wants to go into a system that's against you? And already, culturally, there's systems in place to support Black people. You know, we have a very long history of being in the church, right? And church is our spiritual guides, right? Um, so, you know, historically, we have leaned into that um, very much, very much. And also there, I believe strongly, you know, that's an important part of our development and who we are, our spirituality and having that spiritual base and foundation. Having that community is essential. And there needs to be division between that and also our mental health, right? A place where people can go to um, augment that spiritual care uh, by being in process to nurture our mental health, our social emotional growth, our traumas, right? Led by a clinician. I'm going to continue on. Led by a clinician of color who can speak from the eye in terms of affinity and be in um, partnership. Uh, due to our shared experiences as Black people, right, with our rich, vivid, lush Black history. Um, and what we know is there's not nearly enough Black clinicians out there, um, and we as Black people have a phobia, a resistance to the um, medical model of counseling, of mental health practices, and the uh, frames that they exist in currently, right? And then, you know, it goes back to what you said about personal, you know, um, I love anecdotes. I love stories. So, you know, as a child, um, I grew up in my, it was lovely because, you know, my parents worked hard and their parents worked hard, my ancestors, my grandparents, right? And so, you know, the American dream is, you know, your parents, they have kids. Those kids go out and be successful, become more successful than their parents, right? And so on and so forth. And in many ways, my mother and father, you know, did live that American dream. Right. And it was a beautiful thing. Um, and so when they had children, you know, they were able to support and provide for their children in a wonderful way um, that dismantled, right, and diminished expectations of what are Black people supposed to be? Which is such an absurd question because we know that we are not just one thing, but we are very many things and we live on a spectrum. My Black experience is different than your Black experience, it's different than everyone's Black experience. And that's the way it should be. We are not all the same, right? So speaking from 
my experience, speaking from the eye, uh, my personal experience, you know, when I encountered some troubles as an adolescent, my parents were like, oh, therapy, great. So I was sent to a therapist. So it became something that I was comfortable with, something that I was familiar with, something that I could use as a tool to help me to heal, to help me to grow as a person, to help me to be able to express myself. Now, here's the thing. If you had asked my parents to go to therapy, right, they would say, oh, no, 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 because of the resistance, right, because of our historical relationship with mental health. We're going to do this because, you know, we've reached a place where, yeah, we send our kid to therapy, but for us, no, is we can't do that because of the stigma, right, and the shame that's attached to, right? And that trickled down, didn't it? It trickled down to me a bit because I'm like, you're sending me here, but you won't go, but this is a place where I can get better. So it took some time for me to say to get rid of the shame, right, and the stigma and say, no, this, this works. And this is an important and essential part of my life, right? And in my current life, I, I continue to see a therapist because I believe that's, that speaks to good health. You know, if you have a cold, you go to the medical doctor. You know, with mental health, we must go. We must see uh, mental health practitioners to help us try to be as balanced as we possibly can in this very chaotic and turbulent world, right? And then I was so, uh, it's so impacting me that it's my chosen profession. What are the theories or approaches that you think are most relevant when dealing with Black mental health? Such a great question, right? Such a great question. What are, what are the approaches that work for us? And sadly, there's not many. You know, I think it's important to illuminate that, that there is not many, um, that there's a serious void there. Um, interventions made for Black folks in mental health care. Interventions made for Black folks by Black folks in mental health care, right? You know, I think of the work of um, of critical race theory. Uh, you know how it speaks to race as a social construct, um, an undeniable social construct, uh, and how that has really shaped uh, how systems engage with Black people, with people of color, right? And, you know, being able to observe systems that embrace and acknowledge that that is indeed something that is there and seeing how systems engage when they deny it. Because there's a lot of places and institutions that say it's not a thing, which is absurd, right? Um, also thinking about, you know, Dr. Cory Degree, Cory Degree, who did a lot of work with um, anti-slave syndrome, right? post-traumatic slave system, yes, who did a lot of work with post-traumatic slave syndrome, um, which really does a deep dive into, you know, our generational and historical trauma, you know, that exists within us from the times we were slaves here. You know, most Black people who live in here or in the Caribbean didn't come here voluntarily. You know, we came here on slave ships, right? Uh, which was a very traumatic experience, and then being able to speak to how that 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 trauma that was so prominent for our ancestors exists within us today and informs how we move through the world, right? Really informs how to move through the world. Um, you know, embracing intersectionality. Yeah, I'm black, but I'm not only black. It is a big part of my identity. Make no mistake. Um, you know, uh, that that's. Another important factor to be able to counter and 
um, and factor in, you know, the principles of disability justice, you know, collective liberation. How do we take our intersectional identities um, and apply them to a world that helps to dismantle systems of oppression, right? Helps dismantle systems that are anti-racist, helps, you know, um, get rid of systems that, you know, really don't allow for people who lived in marginalized bodies and identities, right? I believe thoroughly in that. And also this speaks to a social justice approach, right? Um, in the work, you know, a lot of the foundational approaches is approaches in psychology and counseling came from white men, you know, for Nietzsche. And that has really dominated how we go into the field, right? Um, that really doesn't appeal to me. And then, you know, I think about, you know, I spoke more broadly about psychology and mental health, but you know, related to the work that I do as a drama therapist, I think about, you know, the foundational works of Britton Williams, right? Uh, that speaks to an anti-bias approach, um, allows people to mind our biases and have an awareness of them. You know, the work that uh, Williams has done to support um, supervision processes through a black lens, through a lens that supports BIPOC clinicians, right? More specifically with the work with the, the RAP, right? Allowing people to understand, you know, and process the transference, the counter-transference and empathetic spaces that we deal with in our profession as therapists, as psychotherapists, right? Um, and then, you know, the work that I've begun to develop in around role theory, role method, derived from role theory and role method by Dr. Robert Landy, which I lovingly call the BART the Black American Role Taxon, right? And here's a chance where we get to embrace roles, racialized roles, uh, take them in, play with them, understand, you know, how do they show up in our life? And in doing so, we reclaim narratives that have been appropriated onto us by privileged others, right? Breaking cycles, right? Breaking the cycles from the school to prison pipeline, you know, breaking the circle cycle that the expectation of, you know, this is who Black people are and how we must exist, but rather a tool of empowerment that takes these roles head on and says, no, 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 um, we're no longer going to allow or accept uh, this damaging uh, processes to, to continue, but rather we're going to put a halt, a pause, we're going to investigate, we're going to do the work, and we're going to come back um, having reauthored narratives, which creates new opportunities um, and spaces for us to lean into. You know, it speaks to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's approach of, you know, the capacity to dream, you know, and when we say that, it shouldn't be this way. Um, but unfortunately, not everyone gets to dream. And in doing this work in the way that we get to do it, we offer spaces for people to understand, to practice what it is to dream. And in doing so, they get to make these dreams a reality um, in ways we never thought possible. Absolutely. I am wondering if you can explain the idea of roles briefly for people who have never been exposed to drama therapy in this way, because I'm often trying to explain it to people and I want to hear how you explain it. Sure. So, you know, the founding director of drama therapy, uh, Robert Landy, uh, created an approach in drama therapy called role theory and role method. Um, and what it speaks to is that all of us are a mixture 
of the roles that we play in our everyday lives, right? Um, mother, sister, brother, son, artist, clinician, and there's so many. We call all of the roles the taxonomy of roles, right? Um, the roles that exist within me and within you, Jamila, are our repertory of roles, right? And in clinical process, the idea is to strive for balance within the roles. You know, what roles do we need to release from our repertoire? What roles do we need to gain in our repertoire in order to have a sense of mental health balance, right? Um, and we go through processes known as the method, role method, where we get to dramatize and see and practice what it looks like, right? And they're divided into four main sections. The section includes, you know, the hero, right? Or the shiro or the zero, um, searching for their destination, who are what they want to be, um, the obstacle, what gets in the way. And then, of course, the guide, who or what can help us, right? Um, and then that goes into dramatization and allows us to see, okay, this is my journey. This is my story. Um, and we learn from our stories. We get to see, wow, these are the obstacles that I face in life. And here's how I overcome them in order to reach my goals, right? Landy calls it a destination, but it speaks to goals, speaks to dreams, outcomes, right? All of that is there. So it sounds like, I mean, in my work with you and my time with you, it feels like the role method and role theory as you have adapted it is really one of your guiding theories, one of your guiding approaches. Um, and I know from my own experience, having sort of like just copied the way that you do it in groups, that it is incredibly powerful for diverse um, clientele. Like it can work in so many different situations with so many different people. Um, so that's definitely one yeah. that that I will keep in my in my toolbox in my role as a clinician. And I'm so grateful to you for expanding on it and creating the. Bart, I don't know if you made it clear just now that you created the Black American Role Taxonomy and you are creating it and expanding it. I did start the work. Um, you know, I take ownership of that. But, you know, being in partnership, you know, with you, Jamila, with other Black drama therapists and colleagues has afforded me the opportunity to expand upon the work um, so that the work is not myopic, but rather it's it's a community-based, co-created intervention that is fluid, you know, um, ever growing and changing to be able to continue to speak to our history, where we're locating ourselves currently, and also where do we want to go as Black folks? Um, so I, it, it's thank you for acknowledging that I created it. And also I want to share that it wasn't just me, that I've been inspired and supported by many, including yourself. Well, thank you. I'm glad I could add a add a couple rules to the taxonomy. You know what I'm saying? Um. <laughs> you know, black mental health is a movement. Um, black mental health speaks to social change. It speaks to social justice. You know, so let's just break those apart. Movement. We need to move in a direction where we have more black mental health clinicians and practitioners and providers. Right? We need to change. What that looks like, you know, so that when folks are going on websites, you know, to, to get a therapist, when they're going into hospitals or a therapist's office, it's like no longer all white, but like, oh, like I see someone who looks like me and 
I might want to pick you based on that shared experience, that shared identity, right? So that needs to change, right? And there's justice and equity, right? And having this visibility and representation in these mental health settings, right? This we know. Um, so it's a movement. I love being on social media and seeing, you know, hashtag Black mental health professionals or hashtag Black mental health um, because it shows me that we're out there and we're expanding and we're showing up. I love when I'm educating, uh, you know, both at the undergraduate and graduate level, and I see more faces that resemble mine, more faces of color, more diversity in these programs that historically have been mostly white. And I've had token people of color um, that have been mostly white. And that's starting to change as well. I love that because it's needed. I love that, you know, when I'm working and I have, you know, a beautiful black mom who says to me, hey, my black son needs support now. Do you know any therapists? Um, and we're, I don't love the word normalized because what is normal? But we're humanizing the practice of therapy. And I get to respond to this mom saying, yeah, I do. And then they'd be able to look at my Rolodex and be like, hey, oh, have I got a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful plethora of therapists who I can offer to you who are black um, and can support your son in the most beautiful way. Um, so when you ask me, like, is there anything else I want to say about black mental health? Let's work to make it more front facing, right? Um, let's get it out of the shadows. You know, we're not going to live in our trauma. We acknowledge it and we're aware of it and we're told about it all the time. Let's exist in our joy. Let's shine in our brilliance. Um, let's live in our dreams. You know what I mean? Let's live in our dreams. Adam, thank you so much for coming to share your perspective on Black mental health. And thank you for the work that you do as a Black mental health professional, educator, clinician, and artist. Anyone who is interested, you can check the description box below. I will add Adam's info. You can follow Adam at Drama Adam on Instagram. And also, I will put in the description below a link for the NAMI website for anyone who wants some resources on mental health. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your Black History Month. And be sure to tune in next week for our next Black History Month topic.